Welcome to episode 477 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 477 of I Am Talk. Just before we actually get into the main show today, um, John and I recorded the show over Skype because you, as you find out very soon, John's about to head off overseas. So uh, it was a bit rushed today. So we had to use Skype and at some stages throughout the show, my Skype was going a little bit funny. Now we're not sure how bad that was, um, but it may be just a couple moments throughout the show where I kind of go on a little bit of a repeat through Skype. We don't think it's that bad, but it might just happen a couple of times. Persevere with it. I think I go kind of bad for a few seconds and, um, and then it goes back into it. So anyway, let's get into the main show. Right, our team, welcome along to episode 477 on August the 17th. We're a day earlier than normal, John, bro. With Coach John Newsom of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How are you going? I'm good. Still people out there racing and while we're recording today. I'm in Montremblant's only just uh the pros only just finished. There'll still be people out there suffering like dogs, but I hope they've had a good day. Well I'll tell you what, Jumbo, we'll be talking about that in a second because I think we have a commentary commentator's curse in the positive way on the show. And we'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, I'm Talkers proudly brought to you by uh, xendurance.com you're going old school mate copies of Hawaii <laughs> uh, xendurance.com your lactic buffer athlinks.com social networking for endurance athletes and our team of patrons okay I'll go second because you can do that third one Jeff <laughs> oh, the explosion curry Brad the looker Armstrong Andy the Lion King Cipollini Cipollini Lucy Francis she's blinkers and Matt, the Albatross Young. Oh, those guys are great patrons of the show. And again, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to dub dub dub. I am talked up me. I sound like a race race caller right now, and I'm coming around the corner. On this week's show, guys, we've got some news. We've got an age gripper of the week. We've got statistic. We've got website of the week. We may have an interview. No, we're not going to. All right, next next, next week. week. And then we've got some questions and answers. And this is an old school show, John. But we haven't done this one in a while. I know, and we're going to be, it's going to be a, a slightly more compact show than what we've had of late. We're just uh, squeezing this one in. We're going to be just over an hour. John's heading overseas. John, I get a call from John yesterday, a desperate call. I got a, a note by the phone when I got home, ring John ASAP. Yeah. I ring John and he goes, I'm going, where are you going, Monaco or somewhere like this? Going to Monaco tonight. Going to Monaco tonight. When did this happen? He goes, found it on Friday. You know what I think, people? He's a spy. I am. A secret squirrel. 007. That's my new nickname, Secret Squirrel. Secret Squirrel, because who goes to Monaco just gets called up on Friday and goes to Monaco. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that's me. Yeah, 008 you are. 008. Yeah. That's going to be good times. John's heading overseas to do some work overseas. So, yeah, and you're away for a week, are you? I am away for a week, yeah. Okay, so that's very good stuff for him. But anyway, this week, guys, we had quite Ember a few races happen. Yeah, and Ember and Man happened. So, Jumbo, what happened in Ember and Man? A guy that I haven't really heard of, did a little bit of uh, research into him, Anjay Vistika, mm-hmm. took out Embra Man in 9 hours 44 minutes, it was a pretty good victory, swam 52, and we know how hard that bike course is in Embra, rode 5.53, which is more or less where he won the race, uh, but then still backed it up with a 2.53 on the on the run. Uh, second and third, very close battle between James uh, Kanema and Victor Del Corral. Um, Victor Del Corral just came home in 9.56, um, a minute in front of James Kanema. So good top three. Um, Marcel Zamora, who's won this race a few times, was back in fifth place in 10.16. So, Jumbo, so, yeah. th- 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 who is that guy? Because it's not like he beat Peasants. No, no. Uh, so I went and he on beat him his... by a good 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, he's from Croatia, and so his name is yeah Andre Vistika. Uh, this will be a bit of a breakthrough race for him in terms of a prize money. He has won other races last year. He won Challenge Vici. Uh, he was fourth in Embraer Man, um, but a lot of his other races are sort of you know towards tenth place. You know Ironman seventy point three Barcelona thirteenth. So. Good breakthrough for him. He must uh, be able to climb like a beast. Wow. Well, he's the only rider to go under six hours. So it yeah. really shows the hardness of this race, eh? It definitely does. Girls, so things we had another domination on the bike by Emma 
Uh, Emma Pooley, who just absolutely crushed it on the bike. She rode 6.31. Next fastest bike time that I can see, or second place, was 6.53. So she could put in 22 minutes. So she's an ex-Olympic cyclist. I think she might even be an ex-Olympic um, medalist, maybe, or she's a world champion. But she just, she dominated the dojo by about 30 Seven thirty-eight minutes from Janine Cologne, who's a Frenchie, and she is the partner of uh, oh, what's the French dude who's really good, top French Ironman guy. I can't remember his name at the moment, uh, but she finished second, and then Linda, oh, Frenchie names Gina Saul was third in ten thirty-five, only forty-five seconds off second place. So only four or five minutes covering second through to. Uh, fifth, so close racing apart from first place. And even on the guy, who was the guy who won the race again? How do you say that? Andrzej Vestica. He still Andrzej ran a 2.53 after a ride like that. Impressive, very impressive. Yeah, that it's is not very a, impressive. It's not a flat run over there. It's not a, not a crazy hard run, but it's uh, no, a but you trail think you come stuff. off your bike after oh, yeah. a ride like that, you're going to be running a, you know, it's going to come at some cost into those legs. Mm. So to be able to run a 2.53, that's pretty impressive. It did look a bit wet on the run, so uh, that would have helped keep the temperature down a bit. But, uh, yeah, it is definitely a race. I, I had ideas last week, Bevan. I've had ideas, and I'm thinking maybe 2018. Oh, really? We do a camp. And well, you we and finish, I do a camp. Yeah, we finish at Ember Man. So we just sort of do two or three days in the mountains, have three or four days easy training, get to Ember and go do the race. <laughs> oh, right. 2018, if you're interested, haven't even thought haven't given it much thought yet, but basically maybe do Mont Ventoux on day one, then drive up and do sort of Alpe d'Huez and a few of those climbs and then come over to Embram and do and, and be then taper into the race. Um, so not like an epic style camp, but a few you know, you'd get to do some awesome climbs early on, then go over and do the race. So I'm kind of like a Kona light, but with lots of yeah, climbing. Yeah, exactly. And then then do the and do the race. Have to say, John. Awesome. I um because I, I don't really ride a bike much nowadays, yeah. and uh and before I lived with Joe, I I rode my bike everywhere because I didn't have a car, and once I lived with Joe John, that transporting for riding's kind of disappeared from my life. But the other night Joe went out for dinner with friends, so I had to bike home from the gym afterwards. I was dying going up Hickthorn Road, John. <laughs> oh, you still do your spin classes. You'd, you'd get it back pretty quick. Oh, man, I tell you, I'm, I'm going to have to put some yards in for this bloody anniversary camp we're having, or anniversary weekend we're having, because that, that Acura ride is going to do me in big time. So <laughs> bring on the bike. Okay, John, well, last week we were talking about Jordan Rapp. And I think we've got a commentator's curse on the show in a positive way, because we were saying, what's happened to Jordan Rapp? Well, mm. look at him. He comes back out, wins the race. Crushes it, yeah, absolutely crushes it. So I've got the girl. I just want to talk with the girls a bit. We also talked a bit about Mary Beth Ellis, and yep. she has been racing her flipping she's tail off. Money. Just going, but she's had some explosions as well. She blew up at Ironman Switzerland, but she, then she won the World ITU Long Distance Champs. Um, close just race. Hung on by the skin of her teeth. She won by less than a minute from fifty seconds over Liz Blatchford. Yeah. And she struggled on the run again. So she rode, swam 50, biked 4.53, only ran a 3.20 for a 9.09.05. And then 9.09.55 was Liz Blatchford. So Mirith, very impressive. Lots of racing. Interesting to see you know, what sort of impact that has on Kona. I know Kona's still a few months away, and just whether she keeps on racing or whether she's just using this as a massive big block of training and then just uh, start to rest up for Kona. But you know, she's, in, she's in good form, but it's just struggling a bit on the run there. Lisa so, Roberts came in third in the gills. Just with that, John, um, hmm. it would have been really fascinating to see. Like, did she have it and she comfortably knew she just kept her away, or was she fading and did... Well, I'm pretty sure I saw in one of the posts here that it still had seven minute lead at ten k's to go. So obviously lost six minutes in the final ten k's. So she's a smart girl, Mary Beth. She could have been calculating, or she could have been exploding and hanging on for dear life. Hard to know. I have to find out. So so Jordan Rapp had an official domination, nearly twenty minutes over Justin Deere in the men's race. It's impressive. Um, there were some other good guys there as well. You know, it wasn't just Justin D. You had Paul Ambrose and Lionel Sanders. He only managed fifth place. He didn't pull off that electric run that we've seen him mm. do before. But yeah, when you put fifteen minutes into the rest of the field on the bike, you know you're gonna you don't have to run that fast to, no, to win. But, but at the same time, he still went out and ran a two fifty five, and he's not a it's not like he's a two forty sort of runner. So he, he would have been putting in some effort. But yeah, twenty minutes against a, a good quality field, impressive. Good to see him back too, isn't it? Because we were just saying last week, you know, he had a, a good period a couple of years ago, 
and, and at least we hadn't seen a lot of him. He may have been still doing other things, but you know, it's good to see Jordan back up there because he's a good man in the sport, isn't he? He is. Uh, so, yeah, Justin Deere second, Paul Ambrose third. Just a note there, Sam Guide from Belgium. He's the age group we've had on the show oh, once yeah. before. He was uh, first age group by the look of it in oh, eighth so, place. Because so I thought he went pro for a bit. Four. No, no, you're probably thinking of the South African dude. Yeah, uh, I am. Yeah. Can't remember his name. Okay, uh, we also had Ironman Sweden results come through and uh, another domination of the dojo. Yes, yeah, a lot weaker, you know, nowhere near as strong a field. We had Dougal Allen, our Kiwi multi-sporter yeah. turned triathlete, finishing in second place, but he was you know, a good 15, 17 minutes behind Patrick Nielsen, who took it out in 8.08.05, 52 swim, 4.27 on the bike and 2.45 run, pretty solid. And then uh, Johan... No, Carl Johan Danielson was in third, and on the girl, the guys, the girls' side of things, we had wait for it. Dougal Allen is uh, yeah, he's a modern sport. The girls. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and he uh, he only swam one hundred two, so he got beaten by a lot of the girls out of the swim. Astrid Steenen from Germany took it out nine twelve from Camilla Lindholm and uh, Mitty Mo in third and. 928. Must be frustrating for Dougal. I remember at Challenge Wanaka this year because he got second, I think, again this year mm. in Wanaka. Um, maybe he got third the year before, but he was saying he, he put a whole lot of effort in over the year to get better at swimming and, and you know, just felt the swimming come along really well. And he was really glad that effort came off because he did the same swim he did last year. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was 103 in Wanaka. So he's obviously struggling to get a bit of time in. And unfortunately, you know, 10 minutes, he lost 10 minutes on first and third in the swim, mm. like that's, that, that's unfortunate because even if you could lose five or six off, that's a big difference, isn't it? Totally. And that's 10 minutes. Like to Dylan McNeese and people like that, he'd be losing a lot more. Yeah. So, you know, the guy can ride and he, he's got a nice steady, steady run. So, um, yeah, swimming can be very frustrating. Oh, does your head in. Uh, Jombo coming up this weekend, we have Iron the Man. Pol- Oh, the Polska man, we've got the hard man, we've got the My Titanium, we've got the Triathlon Biedzorowa Barano <laughs> from uh, Poland, and yeah, plenty of non-ITU stuff, and then also just got Copenhagen and Japan, Japan and both those fields, uh, what we kind of expect at this time of the year, no real big hitters there, I did note that um, in Copenhagen that we have... Uh, Fraser Cartmel? Yeah, Fraser Cartmel. Yeah, and then just probably on the it's probably more interesting on the girls side of things. Girls, a couple of girls maybe scrambling to try to see if they can get some points. You know, you got Michelle Vesterby and uh, Sonia Tysik and Corinne Abraham. None of those girls, I don't think, have qualified for Kona yet. So yeah, people are scrambling for those last few spots. Right, so in Japan, two, four, six, eight, ten. Oh, I thought we had more female pros than men. Oh, no. That wouldn't happen very often, would it? I can't recall that time we've had that happen. So we've got 12 male female um, pros and then 11 female pros on the start line. Interesting. Mm, that is interesting, isn't it? Roman Gilam is the guy I was trying to think of before who is the partner of the girl who got second at uh, Ember Man. I love that you know the goss on that. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're right with the goss. There's no denying it. That's why, you see, a spy. Because yeah. I've always blown my mind away with just how you remember all the random facts of the sport. Double eight. There you go, double eight. <laughs> okay, John's ITU update. Uh, we had a couple of races happen last weekend. We had Rio last night. What happened in Rio? When I watched Rio last night, it was the week before, but they didn't have any coverage or anything like that. And finally, it came out on triathonlive.tv. And guys, if you do a lot of trainer workouts, I've probably said this many times before, man, for the, I think it's 20 euros or something like that for a season pass. There is so much content on there. Not only have you just got this season's racing, but you've got all the other past year's racing. There's hours and hours of ITU racing. And uh, yeah, the, the race in Rio was a test event and looks like it's going to be a doozy of a race next year. Really yeah. steep little climb on the bike. Plenty of flat, but then a steep little climb. But then the run goes up and down the Coco Kamana Beach and they're just, it is going to be mental. I know that in London, you know, it was right in the heart of town. They had uh, lots of spectators, but the amount of people they're going to have at that beach, I think, will be off the charts. I think it'll be awesome. So and, laps, uh, one big lap on the swim only. So that was uh, no sort of exit out of the swim. Eight laps, I think it was on the bike, and four laps on the run. And yeah, it so was you think just, it's a good championship course? 
it's good. Yeah, it's certainly not a not a pancake course. I mean, granted the, the 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 bike didn't break up in terms of the packs didn't break up, but there's enough in there. I think that it will help packs to stay away. Um, it, should, it should be a good race. It won't just be a dawdle around the bike course. Oh, good times. Okay, we've got. Are you heading to Stockholm? Yes. Yep. Well, Stockholm's coming up this weekend, so the ITU series rolls on, and they're all looking to get in shape for Chicago, which is a grand final, and that'll have quite a few implications in terms of Olympic qualifying. So a lot of countries had Rio as their first qualifying race and uh, some are having Chicago as their second qualifying race. So if people want to get their automatic slots, that's where they do it. And uh, are we seeing the controversy this year? Are we seeing countries? Uh, I mean, if if you're a, a POM girl or guy or an American girl or possibly a Spanish dude, man, you've got to be top three in the world just to make the flipping team. They're just so strong. So, yeah, so there's going to be some very, very good athletes that don't make the Olympics. Uh, Do you think we're going to see what we hit, like where you get the domestique in a team? Like... Uh, possibly, like for the Poms, you know, they've got if, if both Brownleys are fitting on the start line, then, then I wouldn't be surprised if they see that. But you've got to be very good just to make that front pack. So maybe, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit with the American girls to make sure Gwen Jorgensen's in the right place, possibly. But the other, the problem with that, it's only three man teams. Like the, the Americans, you know, they'll be selecting three girls that are all potentials of getting on the, yeah. the podium. So um, maybe just a little bit, but not uh, not massively. So, uh, what do you think's going to happen with the Brownlees post Olympics? So, do you think they're going to try to aim to get to Japan and Tokyo, or do you think it's it's going to be you're going to see them move over long distance as well? I don't know. They're, they're both very injury prone. I mean, they must train the house down. So, uh, I know Jonathan Brownlee's out with a stress fracture at the moment. Alistair Brownlee bombed out in Rio. So when they're fit, they're just awesome. But I don't know if their bodies would sustain long distance racing. I think uh, they break down enough as it is. So you can't imagine is going to have uh, massive motivation. If he got another gold, you know, what else have you got to do? Two Olympic golds, you pretty much win everything. Maybe he will go long, who knows. But I'm not convinced he'd, he'd be a good Hawaii athlete. Do you think in another four years he could still be competitive? If you look, if you look at Gomez, you know, he's what, his third Olympics. So, mm. you know, you know, he's going to be pretty competitive for his third Olympics. So, so, you know, do you think Go, um, Brownlee in another four years or another five years would still be in the game? And that's the other thing is do you start, do you start blooding, the, you know, for you who have, you know, two of the strongest guys in the game, do you actually bring a guy young way through to give him that exposure to next Olympics? No, I think um, Brownlee's like Lessing. You know, he was so dominant in his day, but it's just starting to fade a little bit. I know he's had lots of injury issues and things like that, but he certainly doesn't appear to be as dominant as what he's he's been. So I think another four years down the track, I think he would be uh, a bit like Bevan Doherty. You know, he was he had some great great years, and you know he was winning in Athens. By the time he finally got to London, you know his uh, the next the next generation had come through. Okay, uh, the race guy John, what's happening there? Yep, we're getting we're getting closer. We've got quite a lot of those races uh, filled. But thank you to everyone who's done that. Yeah, but, but especially the the more recent races, we need um, filled, and especially some of the, the non English speaking races. Um, it's where we get a lot less feedback. So Challenge Atlantic City. If anybody did that, uh, I think we've got Frankfurt covered now. Anybody did Ironman Boulder? I don't think that one's been filled yet. That was uh, last weekend or the weekend before. Um, the Netherlands, I think we might have that. Copenhagen this weekend, we don't have that. Ironman Japan and Ironman Vichy, which are ones that are coming up in August. If anybody's done those races and you can give us some feedback, it would be great. It's a, it only take four or five minutes or so to fill in the form. And if you've got any races that you've done that you've, you, know, you know some really good inside goss on, um, please go in there and help us out, and then we'll share this resource. We're not trying to make any money out of it or anything like that. It's just we want to have a resource out there where if you want to go and do an Ironman, you can actually get a second opinion rather than just going to the event website. Great. Okay, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. John, what are we talking about this week? Just really focusing on the Kiwis and Aussie guys. If you need any extreme endurance, my next big batch, I've always got uh, extreme endurance and immune boost in stock. Next, I've got a couple of big boxes arriving in the next week or so. So if you need to get any guys, um, the US dollar is obviously skyrocketing a bit for, uh, in terms of what we can get in New Zealand. So just pop us a note, go through coachjohnnewsome.com and we can get all our stuff locally. For the rest of you guys around the world, remember the Fuel 5 is going to be coming back into stock, but it is going through the roof in terms 
terms of its popularity. So go back a couple of weeks if you haven't listened to the show and hear Sandy from Extreme Endurance sort of talking through Fuel 5. Give it a go on your training sessions, really trying to work on short and long-term um, availability of all your different carbohydrates. So it's well worth a try and seems to be quite different to everything else on the market. So check it all out, xendurance.com and Kiwis and Aussies. Uh, just get in touch with me if you need anything and we can get it out to you ASAP. Okay, good time, rock and roll. Okay, so discussion of the week. Last week's discussion of the week was, is Ironman killing short course triathlon? If this is the case, what do you think short course races need to do in order to get people racing at them more often? Plus, what do they need to do to get you racing more often? So it's a pretty interesting question, Jombo. It was, and we got a, just a good a good amount of responses. And I've got to say, at this moment, that we gave Brett Chan the nickname last week. What was it, Bevan? Was it Yeehaw? Was it Yeehaw? No, no, it was Yeah. Yeah, I was like, and had had a number of people come up to me and saying they're loving that nickname. So Brent, you got a great one there. Oh, Uh, loving that everyone loves it. (laughs) He said there are lots of short course races where I am in Canada, but what I was surprised at was the number of people at Ironman Canada who were not doing their first Ironman, but doing their first triathlon period. Not to open the qualifying debate again, I think it will be interesting to see whether the ITU challenge uh, changing to draft legal racing for sprint distance has any effect here. There are currently no draft legal races, age group races. Okay, Simon Martha, it's got, um, it's killing short course races for bucket listers where longer and more extreme is always more important than enjoyment. Everyone who does Ironman seriously, though, would still do shorter races in their build-ups and those seeking to step up for them as stepping stones. I think that was a traditional model, but I don't think that's the case necessarily anymore. I well, there was, like, you know, the John Newton's, you know, your patent three-year plan, it's, it's, yeah. it's a dying thing, John. I know, I'm going to relax the patent on, patency on it and just let it, just let it roll. Peter Coulson's coming out fighting. Here we did go. You hear about the, did you hear about the guy that did Iron Man? Of course you did. He told you. That's, how it, <laughs> that's a gold one. <laughs> that's how it is. People that do short course just do races. No bragging, no complaining about injuries, just do them. We only hear about long course because the people that um, do them talk about them and themselves and their injuries nonstop. There are no issues with short course triathlons at all. They aren't just full of tosses. Peter, you've just made friends everywhere. That's how you make some friends. Matthew Binns has got plenty of short course racing over here in summer. He's in Australia. It is possible to race a short or Olympic distance race every weekend or around Melbourne in Australia all summer long from November through to April. That's pretty cool. Ironman racing has had its peak of popularity and now the price is itself out of reach for a lot of people who would be Ironman competitors. 70.3 is popular and will remain so as it is possible to race 70.3 regularly. Ironman needs to resist... Uh, the urge to price gorge 70.3 entry fees to maintain the growth in its revenue streams. Simple economics of the situation. For the full cost of an Ironman race fee, I can and will race a sprint or Olympic distance race nearly every weekend over the coming summer. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Arnold Sulikov, new format must be launched. People want more and may not be willing to travel half the globe for just an Olympic distance or sprint. Add to that, the Ironman marketing for, is for mostly for beginners and the only uh, might be the only way of interest for them. Uh, maybe offering some endurance weekends where athletes can race a duathlon on Thursday, then a sprint on Friday, and then finally Olympic distance on Saturday, all followed by a solid party could help raise the interest. Um, on the short course racing, I still feel that 50% of the field have little to do on long course and we'd be better off learning the shorter format. Other idea could be to duplicate the format of Laguna Phuket Tri where the different distances are a bit different. It's brilliant and has given some challenging course good enough to if you up for a couple of days. Okay, well, um, I've got Dan Russell here. Dan Russell's got, uh, there could be a market for more bucket list short course races in iconic places which I think would help, e.g. escape from Alcatraz. The ITU Kitzenberg, is that you say that? Uh, probably Kitzbühel, I can't see it, but it's probably yeah. Kitzbühel. course, as a couple of years ago, looked awesome, but it had never reappeared since. As much as we complain about Ironman not looking after the pros enough, perhaps there is some responsibility for the bigger organisations like ITU to develop the sport and promote more short course racing. 
Um, the last one I'll do is Peter Clifford. It's pretty negative. Peter Coulson, not my experience at all with long course people. I don't think it's killing short course. I reckon long course brings new people to the sport. Short course racers just need to sell their, their wares better to the athletes. Go to the IM, IM races and see what they have to offer. People don't just walk in the door. Okay, John, but what are your thoughts? I think it's really interesting because it's, it's, a lot has changed since when I first started, um, and this is again looking at it more from the New Zealand perspective. So I, thought, I think most most places in the world, Sprint Olympics doing really strong, but I think that the thing is that Ironman in the past, back in the good old days, was a bit of the, the crazies people, and it was sort of the people who have been doing triathlon for a long time, then they step up. And yeah, the market's really changing where a lot of people aren't coming through that traditional format of several years of short course and then do Ironman. And a lot of people are coming in, boom, straight into Ironman or 70.3, then boom, next year Ironman. And you're getting, Ironman's getting, seems to be dominating the media coverage much more than what it did in the past. Um, whereas in the past, most of the stories would be Olympic distance, short distance, you have a lot of superstars, you know, the Aussies and, and all that, that would be dominating the press. And it seems like it's almost done the, the role reversal. Um, it's going to vary a lot from different country. Like in UK, I'd imagine the you know the Brownleys and what have you dominate the the coverage. Um, different story in Australia or America. It's it seems to be the media very much pick up on the Ironman stories. And but I think in terms of what short course need to do, uh, I don't think it's shrinking in many countries. It seems to be struggling a bit. Just triathlon in New Zealand a bit across the board, I think. But elsewhere, you know, London triathlon. A lot of the races in Europe seem to be absolutely thriving, likewise in America. So I certainly don't think it's dying, but I think there are a lot of people that haven't followed the traditional pathways and don't do sprint and Olympic because they may be more completion athletes um, rather than I think sprint and Olympic is a bit more competitive and it's more about your placing, whereas Ironman is often more about the time and, and people seem to, to be a lot more completers and wanting to go as fast as they can but um, not necessarily always competing. I think one thing, just turn your camera on first of all, I can't see you and it's breaking That's my heart. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think one thing to, to think about, like I think of my experience was I did, I was the guy who just did an Ironman first. I, he's, he's, he started with the finger. That's a spy <laughs> finger. 008 <laughs> finger. Um, yeah. Like I think in my experience, I, I was definitely aspired to be an Ironman because I wanted the biggest challenge. And I, and I think when we think about when triathlon was big in New Zealand, those small woman triathlons were big. I know mm. the kids' stuff's still big, but there was this moment in New Zealand where anyone doing triathlon was quite a big thing. You know, you get male races, there's corporate races, there was a women's triathlon, and there were thousands of people. They were really successful, and they got a bit stale after a while because they just don't seem to have the same kind of market appeal right now. Um, and I think maybe it's one thing that's sprint and short course needs to really work on like sure for the person who's maybe a, a, a long-term triathlete that's got its place and for people like Matthew Bins who can race every weekend that's really cool but how does short course and Olympic distance keep the aspirational aspect in it for Joe Public because really that's the market you're trying to target isn't it those mm. women's triathlons that they had in New Zealand were so successful mm. and it was really great because it was getting women trying the sport now some of them stayed on, some of them didn't. And the question is then, once you've got a captive market, how do we keep them in our world? But mm. I think the thing that triathlon in the shorter regions need to do is how do we become the aspirational product? And Ironman as a product's always kind of understood that. If you look at any of the, the you know, the Kona coverage, as John's always complained about, it's not much prose, it's always the aspirational story. And really, that's always been their marketing kind of ploy, that an everyday person can watch this and think that they can do this. But realistically, most everyday people aren't going to do that, whereas most everyday people probably could fit a, a short course or an Olympic in. So, you know, for me, uh, New Zealand, far out, how often do you have sprint races in Christchurch, John? Yeah, not not very often, but I think we are different. Uh, yeah. It's a different kettle of fish here. There's the no way we get 12,000 people to a race in New Zealand. But at the same time, um, I just think that how does short course and Olympic become that aspirational event for everyday people mm. who actually it's a much better fit for in their life anyway because Ironman mm. is not realistic for most people. Um, that then gives them that love of triathlon and, and you know, mm. aspirational growth that's maybe a slower path. So if you are one of those people that just does 70.3s and Ironman, especially if you've been doing it a few years, I would strongly encourage you to have a season of short course racing. It's a lot of fun. You can go hard and it will, if ultimately your end goal is to be a faster Ironman athlete, if that's the ultimate for you, 
doing a couple of seasons of lots of short course racing will definitely improve you and it's a hell of a lot of fun so don't discount the short course racing okay so Jonbo you've got one here but I've got an idea for a question and, and I'm, this is this is a brilliant one I'm loving it people are going to love this one okay. you, you write your one down okay, and save it for next week. week so this week's question is things that cyclists do that piss you off and and why does it come from John where does it come from well somehow I got hold of this link and it was on aboutboulder.com and it had the 10 things triathlons do that piss cyclists off and it's pretty entertaining Uh, so I thought hang on a bit yes we do some geeky things but cyclists can do some pretty stupid things as well so let's get one back on them but a couple of things I had in this article riding with a sleeveless jersey sleeveless jerseys are acceptable under two circumstances you're in a race and you've just done swimming or actually there are no other acceptable times <laughs> um, talking about other workouts they did they, they did all day if you're on the bike ride with a cyclist and mention how you, hard your swim was that morning that person has the right to smack you uh, <laughs> riding triathlon bikes in a group ride that is a definite no-no we're not wearing socks in the triathlon it saves you time not to put on socks after swimming but it won't matter when you can't race due to the debilitating blisters an athlete's foot from riding without socks all the time I never wear socks when I go training Cyclists are snobs. Why do you wear socks? Do you don't wear socks under on your shoes? No, when I go biking. Don't you? Not, I mean, if it's cold, I do. But if it's hot, I don't. Really? I, don't I, know, I always wear socks. I think I even put socks on when I was doing Ironman. Oh no way! Hey, hey, you're talking no, to the guy. The transition, transition times are so crap. <laughs> I'm transition king. Uh, the other things they wear their brick workouts, riding poorly or uh, dirty, poorly maintained bikes, posting swim workouts on Strava, using weird bike accessories, compression socks. These socks are great for recovery, but going to dinner or riding your bike in them is frowned upon by pretty much everyone. Um, and then the number 10, Ironman tattoos. Completing an Ironman is an amazing accomplishment, but if you're only doing it so you can brag to everyone, then you better expect that cyclists aren't are going to resent you. You just paid $600 for a race and then another $100 to have a brand put on you forever. So let's get it back at the cyclists, guys. Yeah, what do they do? These guys back. You? Cyclists. Oh, they think they're so tough yeah. for their Vaseline. They just <laughs> like to rub Vaseline between their legs all day. <laughs> okay, so this week's discussion. What are the, the things that cyclists do that piss you off? Okay, John, I'm not putting music in this week. One, two, three... Age group of the week. Group of the week. Okay, who sent this one through? Jumbo. Uh, Seth. Seth. Okay, Seth's got. Um, I don't know, Doug. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I use the awesome triathlon log he's created that made available for free. Triathlonlog.com. But I'd like to nominate him as age group of the week. Doug is the 2009 Ironman Hawaiian age group champion and seven consecutive national age uh, age group titles. Unfortunately, Doug is suffering from a brain cancer. He was first diagnosed in November 2014 with stage 3 brain tumour, followed by a stage 4 brain tumour in June 2015. And he's got his website here. It's newjerseytriathloncoach.com. So, John, but it sounds like Doug is a pretty bloody good guy. Doug Clark, yep. So he's, uh, yeah, as Bevan said, 2009 age group Hawaii champion. Winning your age group seven times in America at age group nationals is actually quite a big feat. But they have some strong competition over there. So yeah, what I like about Doug and what, obviously what Seth likes about him, he's, he, A, he's got this uh, triathlon log that looks looks more to me a bit more of a spreadsheet-based app than actually using like a web-based thing like Training Peaks or anything like that. So yep. he's putting a bit of time into that, sharing that with the community. But the other thing that he does is just, yeah, shares all his training stuff. You know, I think a lot of people just emailed me last year, you know, the build-up to Kona. They were enjoying the, the build-up, but she really enjoyed seeing other people's training. And when you're seeing someone like Doug, you know, you can go in there and try out different workouts, find out what works for you. So he's got a lot of a lot of information up here on his website, which is NewJerseyTriathlonCoach.com. And, I mean, and obviously, you know, the bad part of the story is he's bloody battling this brain cancer. So any support we can do for Doug would be awesome. So, Doug, you're a legend. Obviously, you're a legend athlete, but it sounds like you're just a legendary person. Um, and, uh, yeah, all the best with your recovery. Yeah, you're touching the world of other people you don't even know. Seth just really loves you and what you're doing out there. So, Doug, definitely a deserved age of the week. One, two, three, Doug. Seth, Seth. Oh, no, sorry. Doug, what's his last name? Doug. Doug Clark. Doug Clark. You are our age of the week. 
Three, two, one. Website of the, of the week. Okay, Jombo. Well, we got an email through from James the Wise One Botel, and he's got. I've taken a step back from training and racing with two young kids. Life changes when you have two young kids, John. You know about that, don't you? Um, with all the lightweight training gear, they're sitting in the basement, not getting used that much. I wanted to see if I could monetize it without selling it. Spinlister.com and the Spinlister app let you list and rent your bike wheels and bike gear for short periods of time for, to verified users. I signed up this weekend and listed my bike and wheels. It's a great way for the other roadies and triathletes to get a little payback from their gear. Spinlister ensures your rental for up to 5k so you're also covered with that as well. Uh, it's a simple, it's super, super simple to use and it's definitely worth a look. He put his disc wheels and his Velos uh, P5 up for rent and uh yeah we're interested to see how he makes any money from it john you looks pretty cool doesn't it it does it looks like it's got a re- it's a little way from taking off so I, t- I typed in new york and then you can put all these filters in there you know what sort of bike you want they've also got surfing and snow gear if you want just wheels a tri bike a commuter bike whatever you want to have but and, and under new york and that was a lot better than other areas i think these might even be james's posts you know he's got a a disc wheel up there for 40 bucks or a wheel set for 60 bucks. Um, but alternatively, you can get bikes and stuff. So this could be a really cool option if it takes off. If you are traveling somewhere and you just want to get a bike ride in um, with a bike yeah. that's roughly your size, you know that can. You know what it's like going to Conanbe when you hate to take your bike. Oh. Um, but it could be a, just a cool little option. You, you wouldn't want to go and necessarily do a, a seven-hour bike ride on, on a bike that you're not used to, but if you just want to get out and, and you know, do a bit of ticky touring, then uh, this could be a cool option. But I would say I typed in New York and there was quite a lot of options, but I typed in a few other cities and there wasn't so much. But it's pretty quick and easy um, navigation-wise, really straightforward. And you know, to hire a set of wheels off James, if that is you, uh, for 60 bucks for a weekend for a race, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and like the wheels, yeah, like I'm looking at Scott Plasma here, it looks pretty mean looking bike and, you know, if, far out, if you go into the part of the world and you want to do it, like, let's say you go to a part of the world and you're on holiday and you see that the race on one weekend and you haven't got your tri gear there, you go, you know what, jump on spinlister.com, hire a bike, go away and you go to a race and have a bit of fun and then, you know, not have to worry about taking the bike with you. Exactly, like, but Blunder's talking about talking up going to New York for a 40th next year. Oh, cool. And- and uh, I'm not invited, but if I was, <laughs> if I was, uh, you know, that'd be quite cool just to get a get a bike there if, and just cruise around New York for a bit. Love it. So, you go James. Uh, James, I think that's two weeks in a row you've had website of the week. Good effort. Love Spinlister.com. Okay, guys, Spinlister.com. Check it out if you do want to put your bike up and uh, hire some, make some money from your gear. One guy here, he's, got, he's trying to get 750 bucks a week for his bike. Mm. Get a few weeks of that, you paid for your bike, haven't you? There you go. Yeah. Jobs, jobs are good. Okay, Jombo. Sheepers, creepers. This is just an old remnant. This is, you've got on, in our show notes, which you haven't got anything afterwards, but recipe of the week. One feature that never really quite took off. No, not at all. Okay, sponsor. <laughs> Athlinks.com. This was actually sent in by Tony Hodge, the legend that is doing our I Am Talk race guide. If you're looking for ideas um, on Athlinks for some love next week, here's one for you. On each race review page i include a guide of approximate athlete numbers to give a good good idea of the size of the event when i do get to that one simple i just checked out the race on athletics and go to the statistics page where i can see the number of competitors in in the previous years i think it's a really good point by tony because if you do this on ironman there is it's quite hard sometimes to find all the information um and I think this is going to become more and more important. So for me, if I'm going to a race, I don't actually want to go to a race where there's 5,000 people racing, a triathlon, just because of the congestion, especially at a 70.3 if it's multi-lap. Um, I'd much rather a race that is of the sort of 1,000 to 1,500. I feel that gives it a really good feel. Again, if it's multi-lap with that many people, that can cause some challenges. But for an iron distance race, that would be good. And equally, if you don't, if you're concerned about going to a race that is too small and you don't don't like the tiny little races then you can also check it out on Athlinks so plug in your races in there if they don't have results on websites and stuff and they what Athlinks does is all the years for their results that they've collated they put the stats up there so you can figure out how many people in each race so check it out on Athlinks.com okay Athlinks.com guys check 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 it out the world's best site to keep it all in 
Sean McLeish made that up. Could you tell? Yes, yes sir. Good effort. <laughs> Questions and answers. Evan Despicable Me Koya has got um coaching message. I think that I've reached the peak of my performance with my knowledge that I have. So now I'm looking to get a coach for the next stage of my triathlon growth. My question to you guys is, how important is one-on-one coaching with a coach? Would it be better to have a coach that I can meet with and go for coffee or could I do everything over the internet? Thanks for your help that you have given me over my first year of triathlon. I will fill out the Ironman Canada form on Ironman Texas when I have a minute. Good work. Jobbo, your thoughts? Um, I think we've covered this question in the past and I've pretty much got the same answer as in the past. Local is always going to be better if that coach is going to actually add some local value to your program. Sitting down and having a coffee, just getting some face-to-face time. I mean, these days on Skype, you can get your face-to-face time. The advantage you're going to get with a local coach is, firstly, they're going to know all your local routes, which is really quite beneficial. Um, And secondly, if you are going to get some technical advice in terms of you know, swim coaching or access to groups, um, those are the two key advantages. But in terms of program structure, I don't really don't think it matters whether and in communication it doesn't matter whether you have a local coach or um, an international coach. So yeah, definitely local is best, providing you're going to get more out of that than that what you would from a for an internet based coach. But uh, people like me and Bevan who do, do a bit of internet based stuff, it, it works pretty well these days. Yeah, it really does that, and especially with you know the accessibility to things like cameras on your phone. Mm. You know, you can get really good information and good feedback from your athletes. So it works really well. So, you know, there is that kind of one-on-one touch, which in some ways is better. But you know, nowadays the quality of the internet is pretty great. So, mm. you know, I think ultimately you've got to find the person who's going to work with you, and mm. that's you know because. There's a level of knowledge that every coach should know, but ultimately you've got to get someone who understands what you work like and has the ability to work with you in a much higher level. So, mm. Tim, pedal to the metal forwards, got uh, Sunny Coast World Champs. Here we go, Jombo. I'm so, liking this one. I'm liking it. Thank so, you for sending it in. Tim, so last Tim, week, Peter. a couple of weeks ago, I was saying to Jombo, you need to go and do the World Champions 70.3s in the Gold Coast next year. And he's like, nah, pancake flat, doesn't interest me, not interested. Well, Tim, pedal to the metal forward, has come back and he said, I heard you guys... Um, from a pro based in the Sunshine Coast that the course for the next year's 70.3 worlds will be in a different to the regular course and will involve more climbing through the Sunshine Coast hinterland. I'm not sure whether this is the case, but considering the preference for more challenging courses this year and last year might be some merit to it. Maybe some motivation for John to try to qualify. Great news because I think that's one really positive thing that WTC have done over the last few years is had fantastic bike courses. So we've got the 70.3 Worlds coming up in a few weeks' time in Austria, and that course is a doozy. You have Montreux Blanc, which by all accounts sound like a fantastic course, and then the one they were using in Vegas was equally challenging. So I really think they're heading in the right direction, and that's why I was so disappointed when they announced Sunshine Coast, assuming it was going to be on the, the normal course, which I don't feel is a championship course. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this and, and how they spread it, spread the race out and really try to minimise the impact of drafting. You're always going to get drafting at um, championship races, but if you can do as much as you can to try to make it as fair as possible, um, then I'm happy. And by that, I'm talking make sure you spread the waves out, um, you know, big gaps between the waves, one-lap bike courses rather than multi-lap bike courses, and, and having a few hills in there will break it up as well. So, yeah, thanks, Tim, and I'm uh, excited to see how this one progresses. Would it appeal to you now? Uh, no, just no, it just doesn't fit into me. Like ne- next year, I'm focusing on Epic Camp and uh, just trying to get in the best bike, bike shape that I can. So it does appeal to me that, that now it does, but probably not enough to get my butt off the ground. And I only want to go to championship races if I'm going to be in championship form and uh, probably not likely with all the study and what have you. Championship races are for champions, John. Mm. There you go, you know that. Yeah. Uh, Nick Pocock, he's got just a comment about your podcast last week in regards to spin bikes. As someone who is on the road all the time, I find myself relegated quite often to the gym spin bike. Although it is not the same as being on your own bike on the trainer or outdoors, one of the benefits of a spin bike is the mental test that you go through 
uh, in a long session. On occasion, I find myself in the spin bike for up to three hours, which is easily the most mind-numbing session I've experienced. However, this form of mental testing, albeit not a physical one, can become very valuable when it comes to the mental strength needed to get through a race, be it long or short. I do understand that obviously a trainer is the way to go in your home, but I wanted to emphasize not to be dismissive if you find yourself at a hotel gym or on the road in a regular gym and all you have is a spin cycle. The long sessions on those arise numbing <laughs> contraptions uh, can be compared to long treadmill runs, great psychological training. The endorphin rush after finishing a session can be worth it alone, although your crutch won't thank you. So, good point, Nick. Yeah, really good point. Um, because, yeah, if you don't have an alternative, it's not a bad choice. But I wouldn't say you'd want to go and buy one for your own use in your home. But, yeah, when you're on the road, it's not the same, but it's better than nothing. And there's maybe some um, unperceived value that you wouldn't have seen. I remember talking to Hilary Biscay about Brett Sutton, and and he had a treadmill in a hallway. So literally, it was a hallway, just white. You're basically facing a white wall, and you got two walls on the side. And she did a three hour run on that treadmill. Oh, that's not fun. <laughs> that's not fun. <laughs> uh, we're gonna email here through from it's, uh, from Robin Trotman, Mister. I think we called him Mister Big. He sent through an article from CDC. Oh, this was interesting. Did you read it? Yeah, I did, and it was really talking about the death rates uh, of cyclists in America over the period of. Was it 1997 through to 2012, I think it was? And just all the data on, on how many people are dying on the roads in America. Annual rates for cyclists, cyclist mortality decreased 44% from 0.41 to 0.23 deaths per 100,000 during the period, with the steepest decline among children less than 15 years. And recent years, kids aren't riding. Well, there's lots of little things in there. I think that would have a fairly big impact. Yeah. Uh, in, in recent years, reductions in cyclist deaths have slowed. However, age-specific cycling mortality rates for adults aged 35 to 74 have increased since 75. Over a 38-year period of the study, they captured 29,711 cyclist deaths. Annual cyclist fatalities declined from a high of 955 in 1975 to 717 in 2012. Overall mortality rate for males was six times greater than overall mortality rates for females. Cyclist mortality rates varied more than tenfold across jurisdictions from a low point of 0.04 per 100,000 in Vermont to a high of 0.57 per 100,000 in Florida. Don't go riding in Florida. It'll oh, drive wow. you off the road. Recent years, have shown, <laughs> recent years have seen the largest increase in bicycling, bicycling, bicycling or bicycling. For instance, during 2000 to 2012, the number of US workers who traveled to work by bicycle increased 61%. This growth is not uniform because most has occurred among men aged 25 to 64 whereas cycling rates have remained steady for women and they've fallen amongst children. So it's really interesting. It's, um, it's just America. You know, the European stats on this would be totally different, A, because I would imagine per capita a hell of a lot more people ride their bikes in Europe than they do in America. And secondly, Europe is by and large set up pretty well for cycling, especially inner city commuting, you know, countries like Holland and stuff. It's just millions of bikes everywhere. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, I think one thing that is interesting is how much it's came down because I've got to imagine with the cycling kind of revolution that the kind of 2000s went through, that cycling as a sport in America and even just as a recreational pastime must have increased massively in like kind of that Lance Armstrong period. You know, just look at what happened to cycling even in New Zealand. You know, before Lance Armstrong came around, it was pretty much mountain bikes, wasn't it? And, and kind of road racing was the kind of an after effect. So I'm thinking the fact that the numbers have gone down over that kind of 20-year period is pretty fascinating, isn't it? It is, but I think, you know, a big part of the, the stats here will be the commuters as well. And I think um, that's going to, you know, steadily increase over the coming years with you know people sitting in traffic for longer and longer and longer I, you know, I know a lot of people now that commute to work that didn't used to do so um, just because they're sick of sitting in traffic so you know there's going to be we're in Christchurch where we're doing our big rebuild and there's a really big focus on because we're starting with a clean slate to some degree a big focus on trying to create safe places for people to commute on their bikes so yeah, John here's a question stuff. here's a question which I'm sure will upset a few listeners do you go through red lights um, not really, no. 
<laughs> it's a lying face if I've ever seen one. Yeah, not really. If, if it was like five o'clock in the morning and I would stop and there was nothing coming, maybe then, but never in uh, regular traffic. Oh, so I, I did do. get busted once. I always do. The Philonator, the Philonator busted me to set of lights going through a red on uh, It was like we were going riding at like four, four in the morning or something. And I, I admit I did once do it, but it's not a regular occurrence. Oh, see, I always do. I'm, I'm a shocker. Well, I'm always like, and sometimes, and, and you know, this is a weak argument and I'll, I'll admit it, but sometimes it feels safer to go through a red light if cars aren't coming the other way when you've got lots of traffic on it, mm. you know, like you actually it feels safer to go through the lights when, you know, you can see no traffic in the other direction and you can see there's lots of people going to be turning. It's going to be a little bit crazy after the lights. I I actually think it's, it's a safer choice. Now, I know I'm breaking the road rules, but... Um, you know, my own safety at times, I feel it's a better choice. That's number 11 on the thing that triathletes <laughs> do that cyclists hate. Although cyclists do it probably more than triathletes. I think you do it, but because you're a spy, no one sees it. <laughs> Double 008. <laughs> Double 008. Okay, guys, we're going to talk, talk about the patrons. So the patrons of the show, if you want to become a patron of IM Talk, you go to www.imtalk.me, and that's where you can become a patron. And there's different levels, and everyone who becomes a patron goes into the draw to win a trip to Hawaii next year and come hang out with the boys. And uh, also you get some little goodies depending on what levels you donate to, and uh, you get to help us to put on a great show. So, Jombo, let's do them. I've noticed I've got all of them this week. What happened there? I'm just sharing the love, you uh, know. That's why I had to go overseas, so he said Bevan could do it. <laughs> So Nicholas Pocock, who was just recently just on the show just before talking about spin bikes, Hitch. Now I think the reason I did this is his picture must have he must have the thumb out or something like that, and so he's trying to hitch a ride. Oh, so nice. that works. Nicholas Pocock, you hitch. Jeremy had to say it with him. Remy? Remery. He's Remery. a Kiwi. I'm pretty sure when his photo came through, he was a Kiwi guy. Okay, Remery. Well, I thought of Jeremy. Who's that actor? Like who? Um, Rhymer or something? I thought of him. Who's quite a famous actor right now, and he plays in the Marvel movies. He plays the guy who's got the bow and arrow. Have you seen that? Right. Yeah. Seen, yeah. yeah. And so That's I th- crap TV. God, I can't believe. No, the, no, no, not 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 the Arrow movie. Uh, right. No, the, like the um, Avengers. Right. Okay. Yeah, he plays the guy. Although I heard, I heard Arrow's Whereas good. that is outstanding. <laughs> oh yeah, it's life changing. I heard Arrow was good. Is it not good? It's crap. Oh, is it? Your yeah. boy will love it. You're going to have yeah. to start liking it. Your boy's going to love all that stuff. Um, well, I've called Jeremy the Arrow. Nice. Yes. And then I've got Andrew Seeger. Now, admittedly, this may not be my best one of all time. So sorry, Andrew, <laughs> before I even say this. But for some reason, when I thought of that, I thought of that song, You Can Leave Your Hat On. <laughs> so that's your nickname. <laughs> Andrew, you leave that hat on. <laughs> you can leave your hat on, which does have sexual connotations. And Andrew, maybe you can do that with your partner. Um yeah, probably not my best effort. If it, we could also go with Andrew the Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Andrew, you can choose. Leave your hat on or Andrew the Awesome. Uh, Matthew Comrade Jones. Now, when you think of Comrade, what do you think of John? Comrade Smith. Comrade Smith. He's a New Zealand legendary All Black. Uh, he's second five? Or is he centre? No, he's second Cent- five, isn't he? Yeah. No, because no, no, he's centre, isn't he? No, 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 second five. God. Okay. I don't know. I don't know anything about a rugby team. I know. We won on the weekend, John. That's all I know. How are you enjoying that, you Aussies? Yeah. Although they're better. Did you watch the netball? We had it on in the background. Oh, they smashed us in the first quarter. Mm. Um, well, Comrade Jones, Matthew, you're now going to be smash the pack because nice. Comrade Smith smashes through the pack and gets tries. Will you smash the pack when you're out there riding, Matthew? And then Michael O'Kane, which made me think of Michael Caine, obviously. Uh, the actor, and so when I looked at all of Michael Caine's movies of all time, and one of his movies in 2007 was called Flawless, and I thought, that's a good nickname. So Michael O'Kane, Michael Flawless O'Kane. He's go. also from Christchurch. Never met Michael before, I don't think, but I'm pretty positive he's from Christchurch. There we go. Well, you're flawless, Michael. You're a flawless legend. So once again, team, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to www.iamtalk.me, click on all the details, and you too could be heading to Kona next year. Jombo. Sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our fantastic patrons. And fantastic they are. Okay, Jombo, what's your goss? We've got our weather report for the weekend. Bloody oh. rained all day, you say? It rained all day Saturday. We had to call soccer off halfway through. It was just bucketing halfway down. Halfway through it? Yeah. <laughs> the parents are on the sidelines and I said... 
I, was, I sort of looked over them. And I was going to say, should we go five minutes? And they're all just like slitting their throats going, kill it, kill it. <laughs> We're out of here. It was bucketing. We normally have about, ah, oh, this must be about 12 teams of sort of six. There's probably like 100 kids or so there. Yep. We had a game of eight on eight. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, nobody turned up, but it was all good. Outside of that, Bevan, did you, I saw um, you running on Saturday morning. Did you, did you notice my beep? I deliberately yeah, we, we, we heard the nice loud beep, and I thought those those people along there are going to be really happy about Bevan waking them up for the second week in a row. You encouraged it. It's your fault. Yeah, so no, running's going okay, and then getting on a plane tonight. So literally, I was up, watched the rugby on Saturday night, got home. Spent about an hour and a half on the phone trying to book my tickets to get to, to Europe and back. Can't and it's not easy cheap book- tickets, Sean. They're not cheap tickets and they're not easy booking tickets when you're a day and a half before you're supposed to be flying out because they keep changing and then it said it can't take your schedule and I ring up Air New Zealand and I had this nice lady and we were on the phone honestly about an hour trying to sort it out because I need to arrive at a particular time and I need to leave at a particular time and uh, it was a bit of a bit of a nightmare. But I'm going to get there. It's going to be all good in the hood and going to Monaco. So Have you been there before? Looking forward to it. Yeah, I've been there before but not on, not by bike. So it's just going to be a little one-on-one camp for a few days, and yeah, I'm just intrigued to see how it goes. Sure, it's a camp, John. Sure, it is. Sure, it is. Sure. I, I, hey, I read between the lines. Don't worry about that. Uh, look out, the Monaco Casino. You're about to go broke. <laughs> are you going to do it? Of course you are. <laughs> God, I'll put down my five bucks and I'll go piss off, buddy. <laughs> That's the point. Like, in a place like that, at, at, at casino, do they have kind of lower level gambling or is it all high end? I, I, I did go into the casino. That was one thing I did do. And uh, they, they do have a, a plebs casino, <laughs> uh, but it was still a lot more than the minimum bet that we'd get here. Like it might be, say, a $20 minimum bet, whereas over here, you know, you can do $5 bets yeah. and stuff. So. I will go down and I will put a bet. How big it is, I don't know. I think it's actually probably part of the, the job you're doing, John. You know, play a bit of cards. Mm. James Bond always seems to play some I'd, cards. I'd love to learn craps. I really don't know how to play craps. That I played it once when I was in Vegas. Cool. I don't yeah. know what I was doing. I was basically throwing money yeah. down the drain. Yeah. No, I thought I'd get the kids to give me a couple of numbers and I might go put something on craps or, or something like that. Love so when do you get that. back? I get back next Tuesday. Oh, good times. So it's going to be good times. Long way to Europe. 40 hours door to door, I think it'll be. That's a big week. You know, like mm. to do that, that is like as much as I'm sure will be a cool experience. That's a full on week. I once mm. did Portugal for four days. Yeah. Um, and it was my first ever overseas international long flight. Mm. And uh, and so I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So from my door to my hotel was about 43 hours, I think. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep at all the whole way because I was a bit of a pleb. I arrived at eight in the morning and I had to go straight to work. And it was mm. one of those kind of four days where you basically work all day, then you party all night. Flew back home, three weeks. It took me three weeks to go. Like after <laughs> two and a half weeks, I'm like, am I ever going to be the same person again? Because I was just, it just blew me out of the water. So it was not a good thing to do. So don't party oh. all night. And anything happening in your world, Bevan? Um, I'm off to Auckland. Not quite Monaco, but. Uh, <laughs> not quite Monaco. <laughs> and I'm not doing any spy work. I got to go for a conference, so um, can't really be bothered to be honest. But it's got to be done. Got to keep up appearances as you do. Um, and then, no, that's about it, John. And my life's far less interesting than yours. Go to Auckland, party hard a little bit. I'll probably party a little, little bit. Come back on Saturday, and then went for a run. Went for a run up the hill. There was quite a nice run in the rain. That was quite good. Good. Yeah. Now, if you haven't been inspired by today's podcast, make sure you go and listen to Legends of Triathlon with oh, Julie Moss. It's a bloody good interview and uh, really enjoyed that. So go and check it out if you haven't already done so because for whatever reason, our numbers for IM Talk are fantastic. Um, but in terms of the number of people that seem to go to Legends, where I would debate is, uh, is potentially, you know, hell of a lot more interesting sometimes, then uh, go check it out, legendsoftriathlon.com. There is still an auction running on there for a swim skin that uh, will go for a few more days yet, maybe two or three more days. You get a killer price for a blue 70s swim skin. Same deal I've worn in Kona. They give you a nice advantage in terms of lift in the water plus speed through transition. You look good, so check that out um, on Legends of Triathlon or you can check them out on blue70.com. I will say my other podcast, Fitness Behaviour, on next Monday I'm um – Oh no, it's actually three weeks from now because I'm doing because what I do with my legend, I'm sorry, my fitness behavior podcast is every two weeks I'll do an interview. No, once a month I'll do an interview with somebody who I think's of value, and then 
every other fortnight I do just a show where it's me kind of going deep into a subject um, and I'm, next week the next one's actually me going deep into a subject but the one after that I interviewed a guy who wrote the book The Gluten Lie um, which <laughs> which is a fascinating, it was a fascinating book um, and this guy was far out an amazing interview um, mm. and it was just really interesting getting it and this guy comes from some of the criticism on the books being that he's not a nutritionist, but he's basically his his thing is he comes from religious studies, and basically his studies have all been about how do stories get told to try to influence people, and he's really looked at how stories have been told in the nutrition world to influence people based on really bad mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's uh, it's a very very good book. I highly recommend getting hold of it, and I'm sure lots of people disagree just because they've got these diets that they kind of stick to, but um, it's a bloody good interview so I'll put that up and I'll let you guys know when it's on because it's I highly recommend listening to it it's, it's and getting the book it's a really good book so um, there we go in a couple of weeks so uh, that's pretty much us John so good luck you know thank you hopefully I'll come people. out live yep yeah. I'll be apparent Blinder's already checked out to see if there's a Tiffany's in uh, Monaco and we haven't found one there but there is one in Nice apparently which is just down the road so that's the request has gone in wow. sometimes so I've got Sometimes I've got selected here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got Tiffany's. Oh, I'm Rust. I'm in a train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha.